Corporate Unplugged opens the door to a world of people transforming business. They share their dreams, their experiences, and what they would never give up. Karen, welcome to my podcast. Thanks, Vesta. I'm so glad to have you here. You are the founder and CEO of Evolution, a corporate training company that specializes in engagement and culture. And you're also known as the Chief Joy Bringer, which is a truly unique title, I would say. Yes, I love to make <laughs> people happy through joy and experiencing that. But the reason I invited you is that you have a very strong impact on the business world. Can you briefly just explain what impact you want to see in companies? Why and also how you make it happen? We have a purpose of bringing joy to the workplace. And basically, it's been a journey to get for us to get to where we are now today in helping companies transform their organizations through culture and through engagement. Um, it really all stemmed with a book that we had written. My um, husband and partner and I wrote a book called Engage, which took us on a journey of discovering companies that were really doing business quite a bit differently and why they were doing it differently. We featured 15 different amazing companies in that book that taught us a lot about how to transform culture, how to work with culture as a strategic basis. And really, everything is totally related to the purpose of bringing joy to people individually and also to the workplace. And how do you go about, you know, picking out, for example, for your book? How did you do? How did you find these companies? You it's know, a that's huge a, world out there. It is a huge world. And it was, we were writing this book in 2011 and 12, I believe it was. And these companies were landing on our radar. I can't even tell you exactly how, other than it was a really difficult time, pretty much for everyone globally in the business world where companies were laying off and it was very heavy and people were, you know, uncertain and feeling fearful of work and not, what, not knowing what was going to happen. And then all of a sudden you'd get this company like their employees love their company and they're excited to go to work and their customers love them. And it's like, what are they doing differently? Are they drinking different water or what? <laughs> <laughs> so we um, ended up talking to them and talking to the management, talking to um, their employees and really kind of they were very open and sharing. And these are really kind of, you know, companies, it's companies like Virgin, Southwest Airlines, Tom, Zappos, Puma, HCL Technologies. We, we started to look at companies in different geographical areas, different ownership structures, different industries to see is what we're finding in these, you know, initial companies, the, the formula for culture and engagement, are, is, is it existing in other areas? And, and we've that's what ended up becoming our book. So the intention wasn't originally to start writing a book about this, but it ended up becoming that because it became so pertinent to how you can transform company through people. And what is, if, if it's possible to say, you know, the main kind of conclusions from, from that book or from your, your trainings? Well, I, I can answer this in two ways. The first part of our research really looked at global trends of what's happening, what's affecting everybody globally on a business level. And a lot of it's connected to technology. It's connected to the demographics where we have a lot broader older population. We've got a mass exodus of the older generation leaving the workforce now. We've got the young millenniums coming in, which is actually another huge group. And they think and look at the world very differently. And, you know, people are living longer and working longer. So we have um, by 2020, we'll even have five generations in the workplace, which is, you know, unheard of as well. 
So there's a lot of different things that are affecting the workplace. And then the other part of the book that we found kind of the formula of how do you work with engagement on a strategic basis is what these companies shared with us. And it, we filtered it down to five cultural keys, and I'll tell you what those are very briefly. So the first one is collaboration, and that's taking teamwork to the next level. It's how people feel like they're working in a family type of environment, and they really understand working for the greater good for everybody. Second one is creativity, which is allowing the innovation and the ideas to come from within the organization. Your employees are really kind of your best resource for great new ideas. The third cultural key is connection. And what we mean by that is how are people connected to the company on a deeper emotional level? And that's through the purpose, through the values. The fourth cultural key is celebration, and that's having more fun at work. It's working actively with the recognition and appreciation. And then the last cultural key is contribution, and that's some level of giving back, having a positive impact for the organization. And that's really the framework of how you can work with engagement on a very strategic level. I know that there is lots of interesting science, especially lately, that has come out around neuroscience, engagement, creating trust, and so on. Yeah, we've gone deep into that. It's interesting because after the book came out, we actually ended up developing a certification program, which is certifying people on cultural engagement. But that took us into a couple of years now going into this research into the neuroscience of how we interact with each other as human beings. So what I find so fascinating now is that there's all these big words like culture and trust and engagement and purpose, which are kind of really big words, but there's so much scientific research behind it that really is able to make it tangible, make it measurable, and make it a strategy that you can work with inside of an organization. So going into you know some of the neuroscience, it's fascinating what the the research on the brain is coming out with, and we're we're connected very closely to the latest research that's coming out on how our brain works. And it all really happens through conversations where you can, you know, have someone where you're in a level of distrust or in trust, depending on how you're saying things and how you're approaching them. And, and we actually have, you know, another training that we've gone into with trust to help leaders build trust inside of an organization. And it's all based on the neuroscience and the facts of, of how we interact with each other. What actually makes us, you know, take certain decisions well, I'll tell you why this work is so powerful when people start to understand the science behind this. It's because it makes an awareness. It makes the unseen visible or the invisible visible in the sense that, you know, once you understand what's happening on a neurochemical basis inside of your body and you understand and you have an awareness of that, it changes how you communicate with people because you realize the kind of impact you have. You know, the research behind this is that nine out of 10 conversations miss the mark. Last year, I got certified with CIQ, which is conversational intelligence. It's a body of work that's 35 years from an expert called Judith Glazier. And uh, it's amazing to see how empowering it is for people once they understand how they interact, how they communicate, that they can shift very small little things that can make a huge difference in engagement, a huge difference in building trust. And that comes down to building a high performance culture, a high performance environment, and to really bring out the best in the employees as well. And then I have people taking it home and using it on their spouses too. So it has a bigger <laughs> impact than just the workplace. So can you give me just one micro example of this, of how to tweak certain things in order to get another kind of effect without it being felt like a manipulation? Because that's not... I'll give you a live example of somebody who I, she'd gone through our training and 
she was an HR director, was going to have a meeting with one of her employees. And she went up to her and said, I'd like to see you in my office at three o'clock today. Is that okay for you? And she realized, because she saw the panic of the person's, you know, in her eyes thinking, oh my God, what have I done now? What did I do wrong? Because that's the natural yeah. instinct that people have, that mm. she didn't prime the conversation, which is one of the techniques, prime the conversation to say, hey, I have something I'd love to share with you that I'm excited about. Can I see you at three o'clock? That takes that person out of the fear mode and into curiosity. Oh, gosh, what could this be about? Sure, I can see you at three. And the rest of the, you know, with the time in between, she'll be off thinking, what could it be? I'm really curious. I'm excited. You know, I'm looking forward to this versus, oh, no, what did I do wrong now? Mm. <laughs> so that's one quick little tool that, you know, we can share. That Do the positive priming for your conversations mm. so that you can build the trust and not put people into fear, but actually into building trust and and curiosity and being inquisitive. Hmm. And how do you prime if, if something that you're going to talk about is challenging? Then you don't put so much time in between. <laughs> <laughs> But what do you think is the mindset actually that the most kind of amazing and successful companies in the world use? Well, if we're talking about, I, I like to call them enlightened leaders, actually, that they're, they're ones who really understand that they can work very strategically with people. And Really, when you focus in on the core issue of working with the people, it's kind of going into the heart and soul of a company, that your company can't have great sales, can't have great customer sales or customer service, can't do all those other things without people that are engaged at work who really love what they're doing and are really you know, feeling connected and wanting to do great work at this company. So leaders who have that mindset where they can work strategically with a culture and create an environment where people can thrive, I think is really... It solves so many other kind of peripheral problems by going to that key thing of working with the people on a very strategic level. There are many research reports and statistics uh, coming out saying that the global workforce is disengaged at work. Yeah, Gallup has a state of the global workforce report that has come out and basically is showing 87% is disengaged or actively disengaged, which means only 13% are actually engaged at work on a global basis, which is a human tragedy to me. It means so many people are not happy at work. They're not stepping into their full potential, which means companies, if you look at a, a you know a company culture, it's probably at half percent or 50% potential of what it could be if people were really engaged, if not even more than that. So this is why these topics are becoming so relevant nowadays, because we're understanding that, gosh, if we work with this and work on fixing some of the engagement levels, that actually takes care of a lot of these other issues that we've talked about already. Mm. So it's great that, you know, they do that type of research. And as I said, a lot of these bigger concepts have this concrete research that you can actually tie it down to the bottom line and the profitability of a, of a company and an organization, which helps managers and leaders understand this is really important to work with, which I think is great because now we're at a point where people don't have to um, think of this as the softer side of business. I mean, 10 years ago, it used to be HR, marketing, communications. That was all the softer side of business. And what we're finding now is that actually, no, these should be the right-hand people of CEOs and MDs out there because they're the ones that are the caretakers of the culture. And that's where everything happens. It's through the people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the, so the culture of the brand becomes like the 
big strategy of the company. No uh, it's interesting you would mention that because Tony Shea, who is the CEO for Zappos, talks about cultures the in towards the internal of the organization as the brand is to the external market. Mm -hmm. So it's two sides of the coin. Mm -hmm. But let's uh, go back to you, actually. I'm curious about what is your passion? Oh, I love that question. I got that question when I was 27, and I freaked out because I never <laughs> asked myself that question. I had no idea at that point. I was like, oh, my God, I don't know what my passions are. Um, now I'm very much in tune to this question because I use this all the time, and I think it's so important that people know what, what are they really passionate about. It's you know the things that you love to do, basically. And, and for me, I love inspiring and being inspired. I love having a positive impact with people. I think the world is going through so much chaos right now that we need to have positive environments and, and we need to create positive environments and, and inspiration inside of our lives individually. And it's really all about empowering individuals to step into their best selves. I, I would say that's really what gets me excited to get up in the morning and do my work because I love having that kind of a positive impact with people. Hmm. But does it ever happen even to you that that, um, that sometimes you, you get... Um disappointed in people you know that how come they don't get it why they're doing it something something about it or absolutely i'm human hello <laughs> <laughs> of course that's gonna happen um yeah but i think i i tend to be a pretty resilient person that bounces back pretty quickly and i tend to see the best in everybody and i tend to trust in you mm. know everything is happening for the greater good of everything so you know mm. i always put a positive spin on most things that happen i'm kind of mm. hardwired to do that nowadays <laughs> <laughs> And what do you see as your, um, let's call it, dream? My, you know, this is funny because I would just love to see that we would be at the point where 87% of the global workforce is engaged and absolutely loves their job. And then I would be like, okay, now I can go and retire. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. I think I may be working for a long time. But no, I think, you know, we just have so much potential. And I think life is too short. I don't believe that we were born to be miserable. And I've, you know, interviewed and met hundreds, if not thousands of people now that have followed the plan to success of what they thought was going to be success. And they get to the, that point and they're miserable and they don't understand why. And it really does come back a little bit to this purpose that we've been talking about. Um, the work that we do is on an individual level, but also on an organizational level. And purpose for me is, you know, on a personal level, if you don't know your own purpose of why you're here, that's like the most important work any individual can do. And the companies that are going to be successful going into the future now, and this is actually researched and documented, like 40% of the companies from now until 2025 will no longer be in business. And the ones that will be in business that are, you know, publicly traded or around today the ones that are going to survive and thrive are the ones that are purpose-driven. I watch a lot of the global trends of what's happening, and, and there's this like tidal wave, it feels like, of technological changes coming our way. We're on the knee of this accelerated curve of change that's coming. And with robotics and AI and virtual reality and all these different things, it's going to eliminate millions of jobs. And people are starting to question, what are people going to do? And it's going to take away those repetitive jobs that are kind of boring in factories and, and, you know, logistics and things like that, which is fine. But I think this purpose work is going to become more and more important. And that I think we're going to have a, eventually a place where people will really need to be in tune of, you know, what makes them happy? What do they love to do? What's going to energize them and be excited to get up in the morning and, and go to work? I mean, the research behind this, and I'll just sidetrack here a little bit, but it shows that disengaged parents 
people who aren't happy at work come home and they're miserable and they're, they, it affects their parenting, it shows that their children have a higher likelihood of committing suicide or being bullied and having problems in school because they don't see hope for the future because they see their parents going off, you know, spending most of their day being miserable. Whereas parents who are engaged, who love their work, who are excited about their work, even if they spend less time with their kids, they are having a positive impact with their kids. And it gives their kids hope that, gosh, you know, it's, I'm excited to grow up and do things in my life. So it really comes down. This, this question of engagement is so critical, not only for organizations and not only for individuals, but for societies and countries as well. So where is the responsibility for engagement? Where does it lie? That's such an excellent question because what I see out there a lot right now is that companies feel, oh, we have to create this amazing culture and you know have ping pong tables and this environment that people are really going to love and thrive in. And yes, that's great. All that stuff helps. But it is a two-way street. Engagement is a two-way street. And employees, individuals need to take ownership of their own engagement. They need to understand that they are responsible for their own career. They have to be in touch with what they love to do and how can they contribute on an individual basis for the greater good of everybody involved in the company as well. So it's a matter of empowering the individual as well. I think companies right now have a obligation and an opportunity to create an environment that people are going to thrive in and to be a part of and to love. But it needs to be where they empower the individual to take ownership as well, because it's not about, you know, my employee needs to give me the best culture so that I can be engaged. Otherwise, I'm not going to be engaged. No, you have to think about it on an individual level as well. What long-term solutions for business do you believe in? Well, I have to take that from my perspective again. And um, I'd say part of it is definitely purpose, that companies should know why they're here, you know, If you haven't seen the TED talk from Simon Sinek about start with why, that's probably the most, you know, it should be mandatory for any leader to watch that because it's so important about, you know, why we're doing what we're doing. So that is one definite long-term solution I see. You know, and I think working with culture again strategically is really important for this building a sustainable business. And then really the last one is to stay on top of the trends. I see so many people out there that are so busy and running from meeting to meeting to meeting that they are, first of all, overwhelmed and stressed. It's causing, you know, lots of health issues for them, which is a huge expense on companies and on societies, the health issues we're having with with stress-related diseases and things like that. But staying on top of the trends so that you can be proactive instead of reactive, because we have so many disruptive technologies coming and it's going to affect so many different industries. And if you're not aware of that, you know, you're basically going to get caught in your business and then it's possible, you know, the business could become obsolete very quickly. So it's just a matter of being, you know, on top of the latest research, the latest um, industry trends of what's happening so that you can really be proactive towards that as well. But which trends are you mostly fascinated by right now? Um, You know, again, it's all the technology of how the creator of something that is of value, whether it's product or service, is being able to cut out all the middlemen in any industry you look at and just get directly connected to the consumer. 
So, I mean, you see these young kids on YouTube that are have a larger audience that they're broadcasting to than, than major news networks and things like that already. So with technology coming, you know, it really empowers the individual. And if they have a message they believe in, they can really spread it on a global basis. So on one level, you know, our world is very huge, but it's become much smaller because it's so easy to connect with people all over the planet, basically. Mm. On the same level, we have this huge issue with all these global problems that we need to solve as well. And I think the more that we stop judging and criticizing and acting like we're all separate from each other and realize that we're all connected, we are all of the human race, we're all living on this one planet and we need to take care of this planet, I think we'll head towards a much more peaceful era at that point. But we're not quite there yet. Let's dream a little bit and say that you have all, you know, doors are open for you and all resources are available. What would you then innovate or change? I'd have to say that I would love to see that each individual out there steps into their full potential. So many people out there don't live their full potential and they live these very small lives where they're not, you know, everyone, I believe, my personal perspective is that we all have special gifts and talents that we're here to give to the world on some level. And having everybody being able to understand that and maybe, you know, revolutionize the whole educational system so that children are raised to be in tune with their passions and what they love to do and experiment and figure it out and then, you know, step into their power of, you know, the gifts that they're meant to bring in and then being able to have the workplace an extension of that. You know, we might be revolutionizing the whole concept of work. You look at some of these trends with, you know, a lot of countries now are looking at this, uh, Uh, what's it called? Universal Base Income, UBI. And what will happen? How will that change things? So there's just so much going on that I think is going to have a huge impact. And I think it's going to happen on a very fast pace that we all need to be ready for it and just be adaptable. And then it really comes down to, you know what, no matter what, it's in each, each of those small moments on a daily basis that we can find joy in ourselves and in our lives and focus on that. And it comes back to this mindfulness and just being present. And it's through these relationships and the context. And, you know, even though we're all connected digitally so much, it's in the face-to-face contact, people to people that really the magic happens. And we don't want to lose that either. Yeah, it's become an, uh, an exclusive uh, thing actually to meet up and have time together. But um, how are companies going to to make sure not to lose this physical meeting, normal meeting with their clients so that not everything becomes digital. Yeah, I think, you know, I think companies really need to take a hard look at how overwhelmed employees are right now. I mean, I talk to hundreds of people and I just see so many of them that are really in a place of stress and overwhelm and we need to to work on that because you're not getting the full potential out of those people because they've got too much on their plate. And, you know, I mean, I think we have, I've actually just finished writing an article about this, about glorifying busy, being busy. You ask somebody, how are you? The most common answer I hear now is, oh, I'm so busy. It's like, when did that become glorified? Is that Mm -hmm. good? Is that really good? Why don't we just slow our lives a little bit slow them down a little bit so that we can actually enjoy the journey Mm. and not just be focused always on the goal and the destination and running, 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 because pretty soon we'll wake up and we'll all be, you know, 70, 80, 90, however, and it's like your life's gone. Mm. So you want to really practice being present and being, you know, having having the most positive connections you can on a daily basis. 
So if you could share some key insights with leaders, what would it be? I love this question. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll actually share an insight that isn't mine, but one that I got in an interview when I was interviewing Vinit Nayar, who is the former CEO for HCL Technologies and has written a book called Employees First, Customers Second. And when I interviewed him, I said, what, what's one piece of advice you'd want to pass on to leaders or managers? And he said, to be willing to say, I don't know and be vulnerable and basically, you know, turn the question back to people and say, what would you think or what would you do? And basically what that does is it opens it up to a conversation and it brings out the creativity and it gives, you're empowering the employee, either the person you're talking to, to, to also come up with solutions as well. And so that you can co-create the answers or the solutions. You know, if you want to build trust on a team and if you want to build trust inside of the organization, it's good if you can show a bit of vulnerability and humanness and not be expected to know all the answers 100% of the time because your employees have so much insights and so many great solutions inside of them. But if they're not asked, what do they think or how would they come up with a solution? You're not going to tap into that. So I think it's really important that leaders understand to be open-minded and somewhat, you know, have a bit of humility in the sense that they can be vulnerable and show that they really do care and are open-minded to hear other ideas and take the best of the best from what they can source from everybody there. Mm. What do you think that millennials uh, expect from, from leaders today? Yeah, that's an interesting one because I, I hear so often that, you know, managers and, you know, different older generations or whatever have a hard time managing millenniums. And I think millenniums don't necessarily want to be told what to do, I, that I know, but they want to be mentored. They want to be taught, but they want a lot of autonomy and freedom and being able to have the flexibility to do things their way too. I think there's a good balance to find between mentoring them and empowering them and giving them the autonomy that they need as well. But if you were to give advice to yourself actually 15 years ago, for example, what would it be? Oh, that's a good one, Vesna. <laughs> um, I will have to say that the best advice I could give myself 15 years ago is to trust myself and trust my inner guidance. It's been one of my toughest lessons to not have listened and trusted in that. And, uh, you know, I think for all of us, we have our answers inside of us and we know on a, on a deeper level intuitively what we should or shouldn't do, but we're not trained to listen to that. And I think sometimes life just throws you these curveballs that, you know, will stop you in your tracks. And, and, you know, if you made some wrong decisions or made some wrong choices or whatever, that will come back and, and show you that lesson over and over and over again until you get it finally. <laughs> so I've had a few of those curveballs in my life. Hmm. <laughs> if we go back to, um, you know, the, the, the company focus, what do, you, what do you think is the most important thing for companies right now to focus on? Well, again, you know, I think we come back to kind of the combination of working with the culture strategically, becoming very purpose-driven, so you're having a positive impact, and also being on top of the trends of what's what are the disruptive technologies that are going to be impacting your business, because then you can stay ahead of the, the curveball on that and uh, really work on building and transforming the organization in the direction the future is headed. 
And just to finish off with, you know, on an even higher level, what do you think the world needs the most at this time? Oh, I think we need to stop judging so harshly with everybody. People are so quick to judge others, and I think it's causing a lot of problems on a global basis. And I think we need to practice compassion, understanding, mm -hmm. and really, I think when it boils down to the core, core issues or essence of what people want, you know, we have, what, nine billion people on the planet? And if you ask anybody, it doesn't matter their country, their religion, any of that, what are the core things that are important to them? It's love, it's joy, it's peace, and it's living an abundant life where they can take care of their families. Those are the four key issues that pretty much everybody on the planet, if you're breathing, kind of wants to have in your life. So mm. if nine billion people all want the same things, why can't we all have that? That's a question I, you know, mm. run around in my head sometimes. It's like, gosh, why are we so, you know, having these wars and having this and that and the conflicts? And I think we just need to get over it. But I also think we're going through a transition right now where the, uh, the, we're transforming. We're going through a paradigm and we're looking at this new way of doing business. We're looking for new ways of building sustainable businesses and, and, and lifestyles that is going to be a very positive place where we'll end up. But we have to go through this transition and that can be painful sometimes. But I do have a lot of hope for the future. I feel very positive about the future and where we're going. And I'm just excited to be a part of this journey right now. Thank you so much, Karen. How did you feel to be on, on the podcast? <laughs> oh, it's fun. I don't know if you'll share the picture of us sitting, how we're sitting, but uh, <laughs> it's very relaxed. <laughs> Thank you. To find out more about Karen Vola and her work, you can head to her website, evolution.com, and it's uh, spelled E-V-O-L-O-S-H-E-N.com. So thank you very much for listening and until next time, live with purpose and remember to unplug. Ciao. Bye-bye.